Well, hello. Uh, how are you guys doing? I, I don't know if you noticed, I brought some friends with me today. Uh, I was feeling a little insecure uh, prepping the message, and I just thought maybe if I had like people with me, uh, it'll help me like feel a little better. No, I'm joking. Uh, sort of, sort of. Uh, I am serious in the sense that isn't it just easier to do hard things when you have people in your corner? When you have people that are rooting for you, that are, are backing you up, encouraging you, people that when you, you succeed, they're going to rejoice, and when you fail, they're not going to be there to like shame you or you know, wag their finger at you. And uh, as I, I get older and I, I meet more people and I get to talk to lots of people, and uh, I, I've come to learn that my, like my upbringing wasn't normal. Uh, but in a good way. Like, I, I had the privilege of growing up with two parents who, like, really loved me and encouraged me and affirmed me, and, like, they, they would routinely tell me that they're proud of me. Like, some of you have met my dad. My dad, he's just, like, the happiest guy in the world. And he, he even, like, to this day, like, he says, when we were talking on the phone, he just will, like, throw out things like, I'm so impressed with you. I'm so proud of you. Like, that's part of my world. It's pretty cool. And, and my mom was very much the same way. She was also very encouraged. I actually held on to this card. Uh, this was a card that my parents gave me when I uh, turned 18. Uh, and it's, you know, just to tell me how proud they are of me for, I don't know, making it to 18. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, maybe that was in question. But like, there's, there's a part in here where uh, it, it actually says, uh, thank, they thank me. Uh, my mom was writing this. Thank you for all the ways that you've tried to please us and make us proud. We noticed. And you don't have to do that anymore. And you can't disappoint us. And like that was that was my world growing up. And I'm not gonna lie, it's kind of nice. <laughs> like it's it, doing life with people in your corner and encouraging you, people that are gonna support you in the ups and downs. Is it, it makes life not just a little bit easier, but just better all around. And I, I recognize that that's not everybody's situation. In fact, that it's probably fewer people than I, I imagine that you didn't grow up with something like this with people in your corner. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and he, uh, I don't even remember why it came up, but he, he said that he can't remember a single, a single time in his whole life when his dad said or even kind of insinuated that he was proud of him, which I'm like, oh man, that's so weird, it's so contrary to like how I do life, but uh, I was talking to a friend, it was just about a year ago, and I remember we were, he was going through some stuff, and we were kind of talking through some stuff, and I asked the question, I'm like, when was a time when you remember your dad just saying, I love you and I'm proud of you? And he looked at me like I was crazy, like I had three heads or something. He legitimately didn't even understand the question. Like he didn't have a category for that to be part of his world. Like, no, dads, you know, they support you, but it's all about expectations. There's no kind of affirmation and pride. Uh, and, and I realized that for, for many people, like that's the world that you live in and you've kind of been conditioned to that. You know, for others, maybe you did have parents that were proud of you and they expressed that and they supported you and they were, they were advocates for you and they were in your corner. Maybe for you, wasn't a parent, maybe it was just, you know, you have a best friend, you know, that person that is always there for you and like regardless of what happens is like always on your side, even if, even if they shouldn't be, right? Like, uh, and, and I think we get tastes of it here and there, but isn't it great? Like when you get that taste of it, isn't it great? And when it's lost, don't you feel that loss? Don't you long to not have to do this alone, to have somebody who's rooting for you, somebody who's in your corner? So, uh, I want to share with you something that I, I think is just the coolest thing. Uh, it is probably one of the most encouraging things about the gospel, and it's something that John, the Apostle John, shares with us in 1 John chapter 2. All right? And it's, it's a part of the gospel that I think actually gets overlooked 
uh, pretty often. When we think about the gospel, when we think about the work of Jesus, very often we think about what he did in the past. So we look back to like the cross and the resurrection and his perfect life, all of that. Or we look ahead to the future and we think, oh, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to resurrect us and he's going to make everything better. And, uh, and, and we think in the meantime that Jesus is just kind of waiting. He's in between what he did in the past and what he's going to do in the future. And right now he's just kind of sitting back and waiting, but it's not true. There's something that Jesus is doing right now for you and for me that I think is so encouraging. And John picks up on it here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. An advocate. Remember that word. We have an advocate with the Father. And who is our advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right now, what Jesus is doing is he is advocating for you. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is in your corner, cheering you on, rooting for you, not just when you're crushing it, but it says if anybody does sin. It's like when, when you fail, when you sin, Jesus doesn't come out and say, oh, shame on you. Jesus goes to the Father and says, no, I'm going to be their defense. This word advocate, it, it's, uh, it could be used for a legal defense, right? A defense attorney. So Jesus is coming in. When you fail, Jesus comes in as your defense attorney making a case before the Father for you because he is so for you. He is in your corner. He is rooting you on. He's not this, this God that like, is waiting for you to fail to go shame on you. Now, now it gets even better because you can kind of get this picture that, all right, Jesus is making a defense for us to the Father, but the Father is all wrath, right? Like it's kind of like this picture, like here's the wrath of God and, you know, Jesus is trying to stand in between as our advocate, but but no, it gets even better because the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, in this, this role as advocate, he didn't just take up this mantle on his own, all right? He was appointed as advocate by the Father. So Jesus is your advocate because the Father asked him to be. That God the Father and God the Son are in on this together, in your corner, rooting for you, advocating for you, specifically when you fail, and then Jesus also told his disciples at one time, before Jesus ascended, left and ascended to heaven, he said, when I go, don't worry, I'm going to send another advocate. And he guesses who that other advocate is. The Holy Spirit, right? And it's the same word, that same word, advocate, right? That is used in that situation. So Jesus is advocating for you. The Holy Spirit is advocating for you. And both of them are doing that because the Father appointed them to do that. You realize that? That the fullness of the Godhead, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is in your corner. I forget that so often. As I go through life, very often, I, I kind of picture this relationship with God in such a way that, like, he's there to support me, but mostly with expectations. And that he's just waiting for me to, to misstep and to fail so he can be like, ha, ha. I knew you were only so good. But it's not the picture that we see in the New Testament. We have a God who is in your corner right now. Right now, Jesus is advocating for you because the Father asked him to advocate for you. And the Holy Spirit is inside you advocating for you. Isn't that amazing? Like he's not waiting for you to fail just to kind of point it out and shame you. I mean, even as I was just reflecting on this this week, uh, you know, this is something I know, but the more time you reflect on it, it's like, this is so freeing. It's so empowering to live knowing that God is in your corner rooting for you. It's great news.
right? But John doesn't stop there, right? This is really good news, but John doesn't stop there, and so I, I don't think we should either. Of course, we're in this series that we're calling the memeing of life, and this is a series on relationships, uh, and in particular, our relationships with one another, our interpersonal relationships. And so, uh, you know, as great as it is to just think and dwell upon how awesome it is that God is our advocate, I don't want to stop there because John doesn't stop there. Because John has this, this expectation that if we know God is advocating for us, if we have this understanding that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father are all in our corner rooting for us, that that's actually going to impact how we relate to one another. And uh, John continues in 1 John 2, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, all right? So we have to ask what his commands are. But he says, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And he goes on to say, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So this is the command to live as Jesus did, or as Jesus told his disciples, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, right? So there's this command that we ought to love like Jesus. Now, Jesus loves us in a whole lot of ways, and we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about all the different ways that Jesus loves us, but let's just today talk about the one we just hit, that Jesus loves us by advocating for us. And if we're going to love each other by, in the same way that Jesus loves us, then we ought to be advocates for one another. And so what I want to do is I actually want to go back and I want to relook at those first couple of verses where it talks about Jesus advocating for us. And we can kind of pinpoint a few different features of the way that Jesus advocates for us so that we can start to think in terms of how can we advocate for other people? How can we be advocates for one another? And it says here, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, all right? And this is important to keep in mind. He writes this so that we don't sin. So everything, that, all the advocacy that Jesus is doing on our behalf, the fact that he advocates for us when we sin, all of that doesn't mean that we should just sin and it doesn't matter. No, he still says, don't sin. That's a no-brainer. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, now, notice that. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate. When does Jesus advocate for us? He advocates when we sin. His advocacy steps in not when we're crushing it, not when we're, we're really good, not when we're most lovable, but in fact, it's when we sin, Jesus steps in to advocate. So when I mess up, when I offend the creator of the universe, Jesus comes in to advocate on my behalf. And when you cut me off in traffic, I give you this response, <laughs> right? Which is so contrary Right? And, and you, you know you've given this look before. And you know what this look means. This is not, you cut me off in traffic, so I'm upset. This, is, this look is an accusation. Right? This isn't just, you cut me off. This is, you're an idiot. Or, you're a bad driver. Or, you're selfish. Or, you're oblivious. Or something. But there's an accusation in that look. We're not just accusing somebody about what's been done, but about who they are. Right? And there's this part of us that we all know. We're not supposed to judge. We, none of us want to be judged. But at the same time, this is also us, right? If we're honest, it's so easy to, uh, effortless. It actually just comes naturally that we just, we judge people. Not just uh, judging their actions, but judging them by their actions. This is what we are. Uh, anybody know what this is? Uh, 
This is a label maker. It's pretty cool. You know, you can type something in, it prints out a label, and then you can kind of put it on stuff, and it helps you keep things organized. Well, we, we are living label makers. And so our, our minds are constantly working in this way that we, we see people and we see what they do, and then our minds want to type up this label that we can just attach to them to help kind of organize the people in our lives. And so we go along, and somebody cuts us off in traffic, and we don't just say, oh, you know, oh, you're such a bad driver. We say, idiot. And we give them this label, right? Somebody does something stupid, and, you know, now, loser, you're such a loser. One thing, right? It could be one isolated incident. Or maybe it's not an isolated, maybe it's a pattern of behavior. It's not the only thing they do, but it's the, only, it's the, the one thing that bothers you most. And so all you can see is that they're a jerk. And so we label them as a jerk. Or, or maybe we label her as a nag. Or we look at him and we say, oh, he's so lazy. Or we see him and he's like, so uninformed, he's so ignorant. We look at her and judging by some things that she says on her Facebook, we were like, oh, snowflake. <laughs> Do you know, what, you know what Chris Bell accused me of last week? I know you guys all fall in love with Chris Bell. Last week, at, after the service, she, yeah, she had the gall to call me a hipster. How offensive. Is that, right? <sighs> Watch out for her, all right? But this is what we do. We just, our minds are printing off these labels so that we can kind of keep the people in our lives organized in ways. But very often these labels, it's, it's, people are dynamic. There's a lot of things going on with them, but we, we kind of pick certain features, usually the features that we don't like, and we label them. But it gets even worse, right? Because we don't just label people based on their actions. No, we, we tend to take it a step further, and we, we read into their actions a little bit more, right? And we start to come up with, I, I love this meme here, my top five exercises, jumping to conclusions, flying off the handle, carrying things too far, dodging responsibilities, and pushing my luck. But, but what we do is very often, we don't just look at the actions, we assume certain motivations behind the actions. Right. Last week, Robert said, uh, we have a tendency to judge ourselves by our motives and judge other people by their actions. Uh, Robert's my boss, and you should never disagree with your boss publicly, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I disagree. I think very often we judge ourselves by our motives, and then we look at other people, and we see their actions, and we assume the worst possible motives, and then we judge them by those motives. <laughs> Right? And come on, be honest. You, you know you do this. I do this. And we don't even have to think about it. It just kind of comes naturally. Right? Perhaps some of you are of a uh, particular political persuasion where, you know, the moment, the moment you hear somebody bring up a term like systemic racism, <laughs> Marxist, where did that come from? Or, or maybe you're on the, like the other side of the spectrum, and the moment you hear somebody say, I don't know if I buy into that whole systemic racism thing, you say, bigot. Now look, it could be true. She could be a Marxist. He could be a bigot. But 
I don't know that. Like, that's a really big leap to go from, like, one statement all the way. And we kind of, we can fill in the gaps and throw all these assumptions in. And we say, oh, man, if they believe that, they must be so naive, right? How stupid of them to think that. Or how out of touch could a person be to really think that? And we start to label people, not just based on their actions, but on these assumptions that we have about their actions. We call them heartless and greedy and selfish. Sometimes we have certain terms for people that I can't actually print out and put on on a a Sunday morning. But we, we label people. Uh, according to their actions and according to sometimes our, our imagined motives for their actions. And all of these labels, all of these labels, what they really are is they're accusations. It's us making accusations about these other people. We're accusing them. Now, does anybody know who's called the accuser in the New Testament? Satan. Satan is known as the accuser. Accusation is what he does. Like he actually, God labels him as accuser. If God labels somebody as something, you can go with that. God labels him as the accuser. Satan is the accuser of the saints. And meanwhile, we have Jesus, Jesus, who is advocating for sinners. Satan is the accuser of the saints and Jesus is advocating for sinners. And and you start to see this dynamic and you start to, to realize why why, like, seemingly sort of innocuous sins like gossip and slander, right? They're not the big ones, but they show up on lists with, like, murder and adultery. Because, of course, this spirit of accusation is so contrary to the nature of God. It's so in opposition to the message of the gospel, and God hates it. It's so against him. And yet... It feels so good. <laughs> it does, right? You get to share this gossip with our friends. And, and what feels so good about it is, you know, we have these labels. All we're doing when we're gossiping is we're getting other people to agree with our labels. Right? We're just kind of getting affirmation of those labels. And, and what's great is we don't even have to throw out the label. What we do is we'll take a story. And we'll tell them one story. Right? So this whole person... All right, the only lens that our, my friend has of this person is through this one story that I'm going to tell, and I get to tell the story through my lens. And of course, they're going to come back and say, oh my goodness, she is a nag. How do you live with her? And I didn't have to say it, but they got to affirm my label without even having me having to say it. It feels so good. We feel so vindicated. And we just sit back and we sip our tea. Why? Why is it feel so good? Like, we can all admit, gossiping, labeling people, having our friends affirm those labels, it feels good, right? We can all agree. Like, there's, it's tempting to do. It's satisfying. It's vindicating. Why? What is it about it that feels so good? And I, I think we get a glimpse of why when we see the second feature of Jesus' advocacy for us. It's Jesus advocates from righteousness. Look at what it says, all right? If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Notice the word one. (laughs) Not one of the righteous ones, the righteous one. 
here he is, Jesus, who is the only one who is righteous. And from his position of righteousness, he is advocating for sinners. Then here we are as sinners accusing other sinners. And at first glance, it seems kind of counterintuitive. Wouldn't you think that the, the person who's righteous would be the one who gets to accuse and the unrighteous and the, the sinners would be the, like the last, you know, like people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. But why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, I, I think it's because of that, that insecurity. Jesus, as the righteous one, he has no need to prop himself up in any way. Jesus has no need to make himself righteous. He just is righteous. But for us who aren't righteous, we have this, this desire to be righteous and try to make ourselves righteous, which of course leads to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. True righteousness advocates for people. Self-righteousness labels people. Because, of course, we're trying to, to conjure up some sense of, of justification for ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, and we, we put our others down in the process, and it just comes out of us naturally. Like, I, I promise you, if you look for it this week, you'll notice yourself doing it probably more than you realize. I'm, like, I was shocked <laughs> how quickly I just kept resorting to wanting to label people and make these accusations against them. It just flows so naturally, and every time I do, it props me up a little bit, and I feel a little more righteous, but it's self-righteous, right? I love this. I don't always make false assumptions, but when I do, I make sure, make sure to be as pretentious as possible, right? Because, uh, of course, these, these accusations and these assumptions, there, there is this pretense. There is this sort of self-propping up that, uh, that comes with it. So how in the world can us, as unrighteous people, be advocates? If, if, if true righteousness advocates... Self-righteousness accuses, how can we who are not righteous become advocates? Well, of course, we aren't unrighteous anymore. And that's what he goes on to say is, is if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus, who was the righteous one, atones for our sins so that you and I, we get to be righteous. This is actually what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, or sorry, 2 Corinthians. He says that God made him who had no sin, Jesus who had no sin, Jesus the righteous one, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And I, I think if there's any hope for us to be advocates for other people, we first have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He isn't just making us righteous. He has made us righteous. We are righteous in God's eyes because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you need to do absolutely nothing to prop yourself up anymore. There is no need for self-righteousness because you have the perfect righteousness of Christ enveloping you right now. Even with all your garbage, Jesus took that to the cross. He's the atoning sacrifice. So that you are righteous. You have been declared to be righteous. And so we don't need to put other people down to prop ourselves up. Because we're already there. Scripture writers say that we have, we've actually already been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Like we don't need to put other people down to lift ourselves up. Because we are already up there. In Christ. And that's the position. That's the only position that I think we can actually start to advocate for other people. We need to understand that we have the righteousness of Christ. We, there's no need for pretense. We get to just embrace it. And now, instead of assuming the worst motives out of people, we can start to maybe assume the best. Huh. Wouldn't that be interesting? 
What if when somebody does something wrong, your gut reaction was to assume the best possible motives? To assume that it actually was an accident. Or maybe, maybe they were trying to do something good and they failed. Maybe they were actually pursuing something noble and right and they, they were a little misguided in it. What if our gut reaction was to assume the best motives of other people, right? Jesus had this uh, rule, uh, you call it a golden rule, uh, where he said, just treat other people as you would have them treat you. And of course, don't we want other people to assume the best motives, especially when they are good motives? Don't, wouldn't we want that for ourselves? So let's do that for other people. Let's assume the best motives. Let's not jump to those conclusions that, you know, the, the worst case scenario behind all of these things. And I think that alone will get us pretty far, but it won't get us all the way because, of course, sometimes people do bad things for bad motives. I know that because I've done bad things for bad motives, right? We've all done bad things for bad motives. And so just assuming the best motives will only get us so far. Uh, this meme here, there, there's a lot of these out there, by the way. Uh, he says, I think it's reckless, not virtuous, to blindly give people the benefit of the doubt. And it is reckless, because if you blindly give people the benefit of the doubt, if you blindly assume the best motives, sometimes they have bad motives. Sometimes they're just out to do something bad, and, and you can get hurt in the process, and it's reckless. And, of course, he says it's reckless and not virtuous, as if, like, they're mutually exclusive, but... Come on, we know better. We sing a, a song called Reckless Love, right? We have a savior who is reckless, who's willing to be out on a limb, who's willing to take those risks, to be willing to be taken advantage of, and so we, we can too. Yes, it, it might be reckless, and it's virtuous, because of course Jesus is advocating for them too. Look what it says, right? He's atoning sacrifice for our sins, and he throws this in there, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's not just my advocate, he's your advocate too. And the, the stranger on the street, Jesus wants to be their advocate too. And the person who cuts you off in traffic, Jesus wants to be their advocate too. The atoning sacrifice is for them too. And so whatever label we can come up with for whoever, Jesus has a, a very different label that he's placed on everybody, right? He, is, he was the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, every human being, which means Jesus looks at every human being, and they could be a nag or a jerk or out of touch, and he says, worth it. It could be an ignorant, idiot, naive. He says, yeah, and they... They were worth dying for. It could be a hipster. Worth it. A lazy bigot. Jesus says, yeah, they were worth dying for too. See, this is the only label that, that should matter. This should be the label that we see on everybody's forehead is this is somebody who Jesus looked at and said, I think they're worth giving my life for. 
You know, a couple weeks ago on Easter, Robert used this, this awesome illustration where he kind of raffled off a, a Kermit to show us that the, the price of something, the worth of something is what somebody is willing to pay for it. And, and at the end, he drew out the fact that Jesus gave himself for you. The father sacrificed his son because he said, you are worth that price. You're worth the price of my beloved son. And we all walked away feeling like, yes, I'm worth it. But guess what? It's true of everybody next to you as well. And it's true of the stranger, and it's true of your boss, and it's true of your estranged brother or sister or your, your spouse or your, your kids who you're fighting with right now. It's true of all of them that Jesus signs them so valuable. And he says, it was worth it. It was worth it for them too. And we, as followers of Jesus who embrace this reality for ourselves, can we not start to embrace this for the people around us? There's lots of other labels we can throw on, on people, but is this not the only one that really matters? What if we started to first and foremost see the people in our lives like this? Not just when they're righteous, but when they sin so that we could step in from a place of true righteousness, where they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, to advocate for them, to come to their defense, to be in their corner, rooting them on, Who in your life right now needs an advocate? Who in your life right now feels like they're just, they're fighting against the world. Nobody's in their corner. Maybe it's a, a coworker. Maybe it's your boss. You know, maybe it's the boss that everybody loves to hate. Maybe, maybe they need an advocate. Maybe it's your teenager who's just not in a good place. And all you can see is the way that they're throwing their life away. And, and instead of just coming down and exasperating to come and, and to get behind them and be in their corner and, and champion for them, to be their advocate. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you guys have been in just a bad place. It's been a rough year. You've had way too much time in the same house and you're just at each other's throats. And right now, what if, what if now is the time for you to say, you know what, I'm switching teams. And I'm going to join your side. I'm going to be an advocate for you instead of fighting against you. Who are the people in your life right now that they don't have anybody and you could be their advocate? Because I'm convinced that there are people in your lives, in my life, in your life, who they're going to come to know who Jesus is. They're going to come to know him as their advocate because you step into their life and you do what nobody else has ever done for them and you be their advocate. Instead of jumping to accusations, you jump to advocate for them. You champion their cause. You root for them. You get in their corner. And I, I truly believe if we, if we pursue this, we will see life change happening. And I think it's going to change relationships that you have. Ones that you dread will be completely transformed. And there's going to be other people who don't care that you advocate for them. And there's going to be no benefit. And you're not going to see any fruit. And guess what? Jesus says, they were worth dying for too. And we, we pick up that charge and we continue to advocate for them. And here's the cool thing. John says, we have come to know him. All right, we've come to know him when we live like him, when we love like him. That every time you advocate for somebody else, especially in their sin, when you come to their defense, it's a little reminder to you that right now, 
Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's saying, I'm on their side. I'm going to fight for them. And you get reminded of that truth day in and day out, that he is your advocate as you advocate for other people.